if you're a maker, a creative, and ever thought, I want to scale my business, I need to get my products into shop, then this is the podcast for you. Our guest today, Annalise, owns Tikitibu and for the last 12 years has worked with New Zealand creatives to help develop products for New Zealand and offshore, creating them in New Zealand and also creating them offshore. She currently works with over 1,600 New Zealand retailers, is really known in the industry and has helped several small business owners in New Zealand become names that people recognise, at least for their art and creativity. She, her favorite thing is to break rules and disrupt industries, and it's exactly what she's doing with her industry. So have a listen. You'll love her insights, her wisdom, and maybe you're out of workout. Do you want to scale, or are you happy staying just as you are? Let's get started. Welcome. This is Mibbit Marketing, and I am your host, Rachel Claver. I love helping small business owners become more confident and more capable with their marketing. So this podcast is all here to help you do just that. It's me and the help of some great guests helping you learn new skills, new strategies and ideas. Let's jump in and get started. Hi and welcome to Mapit Marketing. I'm your host Rachel Claver and I am so excited about having our guests on. I know I say that every week but I am especially excited this week uh, because um, Annalise is someone that when we start talking we can't stop and I am incredibly passionate about what she does. I think that I get a little bit of jealousy from some of the stuff she does because it's so super cool. Um, so there'll be a bit of professional jealousy going on, Alice, in this thing, you know. Um, but before we <laughs> jump in and let her introduce herself, um, I want, and I'll have introduced you in the, I've got a little introduction in the in the podcast, so don't worry if I haven't like raised your praises right now, it will be in the introduction. Uh, but um, but for those of you that are new to the show, um, I, yes, I do talk this fast. Welcome. It's lovely to have you for regular listeners. Thanks for coming back again, honestly. I so appreciate each one and every one of you and um, please do come and be part of our group on Matt, on Facebook Map Marketing if you want to ask questions um, from the show um, of course you'll also probably be looking up Annalise because she's amazing anyway Annalise Josephic is the owner of Tickety-Boo which she co-runs with her husband that's right that's right. Uh, yep. Annalise is the creative director. Not to say anything against Richard, like she's just like the most amazing creative person. When I first met Annalise, her business was quite small, and we had this big conversation in a cafe in Long Bay somewhere. And <laughs> next time I hear of her, she's this massive, um, incredibly grown, this incredibly amazing, huge business, and is doing amazing jobs working particularly with creatives. Um, one of the things that we talked about before the podcast, and we're going to really get into in the session is uh, one of the false beliefs people have around Annalise and her business is that she is a distributor for uh, mainly creative businesses and into giftware and lifestyle and other places, bookshops and all sorts of places. But she's so much more than a distributor, which makes her model so unique. This is a podcast that is for anyone who wants to be inspired and in what you can do with a brain that's completely complex and wants to have lots <laughs> of diverse things, but also for those of you that are in the creative industry and are wondering, how do I grow a brand beyond the book I write, the illustrations I make, the art that I create? What is it that I can do? And I think listening to Annalise in this will be very motivating to you um, through that. So Annalise, well. Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. That was all from the heart, by the way. I didn't write any of that stuff down. I mean, you can probably I say, I love screen, it. But, but I was, it's true though. Like that is how it feels. And and so I thought, let's just start with you telling us a little bit about Tickety Boo, which I haven't even mentioned mm -hmm. the name of the business. Um, Tickety Boo and, and you, and what is Tickety Boo and who are you? 
Yeah, Just a good question. More questions. <laughs> good, good question. I think it's taking me probably about 12 years to actually figure that out. And I think I'm only just starting to work that out. That's exciting. Um, it's a journey. Yeah, so we have been, um, so we started with manufacturing um, products in New Zealand for the gift market. Yeah. Um, and we started working with artists, New Zealand artists. Um, and that was great. That was grand. We did that for quite a few years and we kind of bumbled along and we did reasonably well and people liked our stuff, which was great. And then we sort of hit a bit of a junction where we realized that maybe that's not quite the right fit for us. Um, and then we started distributing and that's when we really started working with creatives and we started to understand the complexities of what it is to be a creative in New Zealand, the lack of support that there is for creatives in New Zealand in lots of ways, um, and the potential, huge potential that there is for creatives in this country because we are a nation that loves to consume its own flora and fauna. We love to, everyone's got a tui on the wall somewhere. We love to have um, New Zealand products around us and people are really really supportive of New Zealand made so um, our journey has been kind of like an, a constant unfolding of all of that stuff like there's so complex and there's so many layers of how do we best support creatives how do we <clears throat> how do we create something that's sustainable how do we build our distribution network how do we make that effective and so there's lots and lots and lots of things so as we've kind of like blossomed through the years it's been very complex and in all these different areas and that's kind of where we're at today that we go <clears throat> the reality for us is that distribution and sending out orders and doing the sales into New Zealand retail got us to this point but what we've learned along the way through manufacturing and business and creative businesses and the how-to and what not to do and the thousand million mistakes that you can make has really created a much more diverse business model than we ever expected we would have. So you've got three kind of like pointers, haven't you? You've got consulting, yeah. manufacturing, distribution. Yeah. So now that's kind of where we've landed um, this year is that we've realized that Distribution is one of the services that we provide. Um, we built up a network of over 1,600 New Zealand retailers that we deal with, and that's from everybody from bookshops to little gift shops, design shops, the big stores, the little stores, everyone in between. So distribution and looking after that network is one part of what we do. But I would say close to 80% of my time is actually spent on working out how to support the creatives that we work with into thinking bigger, thinking more globally, um, capitalizing on the hard work that they've done um, in the images that they've created or the creative work that they've already done. How do we take what you've done and maximize it to the, to the most that we can instead of having to redo stuff all the time? Um, and how do we collaborate and do all these cool things? So. For us, we've got consulting with creatives, which can look like a one-off one session for a creative that might just need somebody to, to talk to, or we've got longer programs where we can support them through actually getting their products manufactured, or even longer programs where it's manufacturing and getting them into distribution. Then we've got 
the manufacturing support. So we've manufactured in New Zealand, we've manufactured offshore and many different countries. Um, so we've got a really good understanding and a really good network of actual makers and factories offshore. So sometimes, again, that, that could be just a two-hour conversation around um, how what are the terms like so many people are starting out going well I want to do a thing and and I found a manufacturer offshore but the the manufacturer is using terms that they don't understand so it's kind of just giving a layman's terms and a rundown of this is what it all means this is what shipping terms mean this is what they're asking for when they ask for this so that's the manufacturing side of it and we also offer services within that where we can do the manufacturing for you we can look after it and introduce you to our our factories, all sorts of different levels and layers. And then we've got the distribution side of the business, which is New Zealand distribution. We've got down pat, and we're working at the moment on a more of an international distribution model where we're working with distributors in different countries and introducing them to our amazing creatives because we've got some pretty cool stuff going on. And um, a lot of the international distributors are really blown away with some of our creative work so that's the next kind of frontier for it which is quite exciting so I really like I'm gonna there's quite a lot of there. so there's a few things I wanted to pick out one of the things I like about uh your model is and let's just talk about the manufacturing or the consultancy into manufacturing is that when I was a freelance writer we used to talk about a thing called spidering and I've also worked about this with people they call this in uh, for speakers and film as well where you take mm one product or one idea and then you spider it which is like my book be a spider but you, you spider it yeah. and you go mm -hmm. okay I've got this beautiful image now that could be on the front of a journal or that could be part of a calendar yeah. that's what you're talking about when you're talking around that using an artist's image or something like that and yeah. ways that you can increase the profit and yeah. availability of that image on other things yeah. totally or it, it could be like for example, like a character in a book as well. So it could be sometimes you've got, um, depending on the mode of creative that we're talking about, like if they're a visual artist and they're painting a, a painting and that painting takes them, you know, 20 hours to complete mm -hmm. um, and it's not able to be turned into something digital if it's absolutely hand painted and that's the, there are different pathways for that creative. So that creative, who takes a really long time to create something absolutely phenomenal, but they may only create 10 pieces a year. Yeah. My kind of that, right? Yeah, totally. So, yeah. so really for those people, it's what is your pathway and what is your journey and how do you make money off of what you're doing, but also understanding your value within that process. So for that person, for that creative, it might be 100% going down the gallery route and really creating high-end artwork. And, you know, do you have what, do you have the chops for that, essentially? Then you've got other artists that are pumping out work left, right and centre. So for them, when they're really pro prolific and they don't have like those barriers that they're not, you know, like they have got a lot of content to deal with then what are the opportunities? But also how do we capture that artwork to make it easy if we are going to go down a commercial route with doing manufacturing and doing products and things like that? So could it be that as you create things, you digitize it along the way? So do you scan assets that you can then later have a vault that you can turn to and go, oh my God, that 
that thing that I did ages ago, that would look amazing put across that thing over there. And so there's lots of different ways of capturing that creative work so that you're not redoing it all the time mm. and not having to go, oh, you have to do a new, new piece of work. Yeah, because yeah, I think one of the things, like, so I love this, I, I've worked with quite a lot of creatives, uh, for some reason I think my ADHD brain is um, <laughs> one that they find attractive to work with, um, yep. and so I'm really passionate about finding ways that people can repurpose, uh, but I do think that one of the reasons that makes you stand out in what you do is I've watched artists do this successfully overseas like particularly I think Australia because they're close they do this really well with their artists where you know if you look back at Ken Doan back in the yeah. 80s or something like that you had Ken Doan yeah. you've got like um I can't remember her name now but she's a fabric artist and there's different people mm. and they've really been able to build this this machine or this business around yeah. their creativity and I know that you've helped businesses do it, but I still think in New Zealand, it's still quite a new concept to think bigger yeah. beyond the artwork. I, I think so. And I think that that's, we have a younger industry, I think. Yeah. And because we have a smaller population, understanding the population size in New Zealand really has a massive impact on um, the speed at which work is is relevant so yeah. you know we have this all the time we've only got five million people out of those five million people you've only got a tidgy tiny little bit that are actually going to really love your work and want to buy it mm. so you have to figure that formula out essentially and go well who am I marketing to how many people are actually going to buy this and then once they've bought it how am I going to keep them interested mm. because I absolutely I'm not just going to be able to re reproduce the same thing over and over. If it's a visual thing, yeah. if it's an accessory thing, if it's a lifestyle thing, they're going to want what's new. And so I've always kind of looked at New Zealand like you get on this hamster wheel and as soon as you create something, if it's successful, man, you've got to be looking at next season and what's happening next because before that's sold out, you need to be on to the next thing because they're not going to want the old thing. And that's true for some stuff, okay. but then some stuff when you're dealing with a creative concept where you're doing something really phenomenal, like let's say you're coming up with skincare, for example, and you do something that's just out the gate and it's amazing. Of course, you don't have to keep rewriting that, but that's just a different creative approach to, mm. to what your work is, essentially what your skills are. So understanding how to where you sit in this like are you going to be somebody that has to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce and have something amazing all the time or are you somebody that's going to put all of your energy into creating this one amazing thing and then it's how do we build the brand how do we build the audience how do we keep them coming back because a visual thing where you're looking at it and you're going to be turning it over quickly within a season um, is very different from a repeat customer coming back because they absolutely love the product. So and the conversation. Really product. Like yes. one, we buy yes. it once and you're like, I want actually this season. Yeah. So like it's fashion. It's like yeah, exactly. fashion. Whereas yeah. the other one is more just building a brand that people go, this is now my regular skincare routine. A hundred percent. Yeah. Thing, so the conversation yeah, it still starts it mm. still starts with the creative at, at, at its essence and at its core it's still that person that's willing to take a risk mm. on their passion and their ideas that's a creative person 
it doesn't matter whether it's visual or skincare or what it doesn't yeah. writing a book it doesn't really matter it's still starting with that person who is doing a heartfelt heart-led project and that in my mind is what the creative is mm. and then it's understanding how do we reach the audience and keep them interested and keep them coming back whether it's because we're doing new stuff all the time or whether it's because the product is so amazing or social enterprises or whatever that might be that's how the conversation then splits and changes depending on what your what your intention is I really like that because I actually I recorded a podcast yesterday which will have aired well before this one um on how service providers need to do a similar thing because that's obviously my space and like in terms of like going how do we adjust our sales every year and refine what we're doing and and I it was interesting you talked about that fashion thing because that's how I see business I go every year we should be adjusting our sales adjusting the way we do things because of the economic state we're in because fashions change because needs change yeah. And it's exactly the same. Pro it's kind of cool. Like, yeah. going, oh, we've got yeah. the same thing. We just do it in yeah. different markets. But and yeah, that's totally. why I think I really love what you do. Because part of me also, every time you talk about it, I'm always like, oh, you've got the coolest job in the universe. Yeah, um, do you, <laughs> I do. Do you, do you feel like there's still a cultural cringe? Because I was thinking the other day, like I was, um, my daughter's really into sewing. So I was in Spotlight with her and she was getting some fabric. And I was going, oh, I love these colorful fabrics. And then I picked them up and every single one of them was Australia, Flora and Fauna. And I was like, mm -hmm. they were gorgeous. But I was like, it's kind of crazy in New Zealand that here are these gorgeous Australian prints. Yeah. And we're putting them in. Our, and, and I actually literally, I have actually, if I think about it, this thing behind me, that's an Australian yeah. plant on a yeah. piece of fabric. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm looking at them going, do you think there is still cultural cringe in New Zealand a little bit that, that can cause problems? Or do you think that's gone or going? I think I've got pretty strong opinions about this. I think that, uh -oh. um, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's sort of, customer led right yes, and it so is. What, yeah yeah so what happens in a retail shop is they stock something and if it goes well then they restock it and they restock it and they restock it or a different slightly different version of it so pre-covid I mean you couldn't move in a shop without seeing a fantail or a tui or a mm. kawa. that was it that was like if it didn't have a fantail, in my industry, if it didn't have a fantail or a tui, and it's like, oh, God, we're really taking a big risk here not doing the staples because the retailer knew that that's what was going to sell. Mm -hmm. And so they just kept reordering it. Then COVID hit, and I was, like, delighted in lots of ways to say that we were, there was going to be a forced change because we weren't going to have tourists. We no. weren't going to have those people that were a guaranteed dollar being spent at the retail shop. We Death were going to Pukikos. <laughs> so it was like, we have this amazing opportunity to actually just go, we don't need that. We all know what a tui is. We all know what a fantail is. Here's something different. And so we did that with um, a few of our brands and kind of went, now's the time. Now's your opportunity to get fresh, to try something new, to drop the birds. And the response was overwhelming. It was amazing. Wow, Business grew. <clears throat> it was incredible because 
I just don't think it was almost like we were in this like silly little coma where we yeah. were going around in this loop and it was like the retailers weren't willing to take a huge risk on something that was new and contemporary and didn't have a bird on it because they knew that the tourist was going to be there yeah. and they wanted to be able to so we just haven't had that kind of breakthrough. Mm. We absolutely do on a really boutique level and in the galleries and the really fine art shops and things like that, where you would see this amazing, you would see amazing work um, happening with creatives doing ceramics and things like that. But it just was never busting through to a more kind of sustainable model for everybody. So that's what we're trying to look at now is going, I'm not really that interested in doing stuff that's just got the same old, same olds on it anymore. I'm going, who are our creatives that are doing stuff that could absolutely be sold in Paris or London or New yeah. York? That's what we've got in this country. And we've got it in spades. We've got phenomenal creatives, but they've never been able to break through oh, because yeah. the supply and demand has always been around that kind of native look. Mm. And so that typical kind of traditional native look always really had quite a lot of strength. Mm. Um, so there's a new version out there. And I love that because I think, you know, new designers. I love Tui's. Like I love, I love the story of the Tui and I have quite an emotional connection to it because my grandmother lived in the bush. And so, you know, I, but I, mm. and if I have actually got someone painted, a, 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 like one of my daughter's friends painted a Tui and I bought a print and, I, and it's in front of me. I, I love it. But I wouldn't go into a shop and buy a Tui thing, but I would love a New Zealand I love New Zealand art represented in mm. forms. So I yeah. love that we that artists are being liberated into exploring new ways yeah. of showing their understanding of their surrounds, which is still going to have mm. that Kiwi influence without having to be curtailed by as long as it's got yeah. a native bird on it. Yeah, like, exactly. We are yeah, okay. yeah. You yeah. Know? So I, I, def that. I definitely think that we we are in a new we're in a new time, which is super exciting. We're in a new time of seeing these creatives coming through and doing amazing collaborations with um, other big companies and um, seeing some really fresh stuff coming through that it doesn't all just look like Pahutaka and Pukiko. And, you know, that that kind of genre of, of style in retail shops did really well for a really long time but now we're busting into this new stuff and the really exciting thing that I've sort of seen this year is talking to more international brands and more international distributors and things like that is that there it's kind of like we've exploded onto the scene we haven't we're not coming from behind anymore which nice. is super exciting so a lot of we always felt like we were probably a good couple of years behind the trend um, so for gift and design and stuff like that what we found is that now we're actually right up there with what's happening globally and a lot of distributors are turning around and stores are turning around to our store our creatives and going you guys are doing amazing stuff like why haven't we seen this where why are, are you coming to Australia what's going on and they're like it's just really bold it's really beautiful and we're like what is it well we've just been head down bum up in New Zealand doing our best and having fun with this yeah. new kind of freedom that we feel like we've got so yeah I think there's some really exciting really exciting possibilities coming through and also 
New Zealanders changed over COVID, particularly in that first year. They just got right behind New Zealand made and New Zealand creatives. It was incredible. I think that was really empowering. And I I remember, you know, obviously you will have heard of the Choice um, Group, which had that crazy growth during that time. But one of the Mm. things I really loved in that was that there were people who were really just very little little creators that that would across your door that are little creators who went in there and kind of tested out the market with things and would suddenly get this explosion of orders and this kind of proof of yes my stuff is hitting a mark with the people I I finally have an opportunity yeah so I think like COVID did a lot the pandemic did a lot for New Zealand in terms of that creator scene of actually just allowing people because people had more time too to actually explore um, yeah. But there's a big step between that and then coming and working with someone like you, even if it's in a consult, like the consulting probably lower level because they could just come in and just see if they're yeah. ready, which is really yeah. important. But if they were looking at investigating in with you, you're a very different distributor to most distributors or another distributor. What mm. do they have to, what does someone have to do to know that they are getting ready for or mm. could be ready for looking at a distributor? We'll, we'll talk yeah. about manufacturing separately because that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 do they what do you look for? So I suppose that choice, what you were just talking about with the choice example, is yeah. that's really perfect and it's such a great segue into into what it is to actually supply a market and whether you're supplying that market yourself or whether you're uh, getting a distributor or you know working in with an agent or anything like that. Um, really, what it comes down to is the infrastructure that you have created for yourself Um, and that's why consulting and talking to somebody who knows um, how to do that and what that looks like and knows the pitfalls is a really good example so I saw lots of these amazing creatives through choice who put up a thing that was awesome and then next thing they've got 350 orders for it and they couldn't couldn't fulfill take them months and so what that highlighted was a that there's a need for for more and you know exciting creative work in New Zealand and there's definitely customers here in New Zealand that will will buy it and they would rather buy it from a New Zealand creative but be like the infrastructure how do I get from how am I sourcing how am I packaging how am I marketing how am I charging for my time what is all of that how does that all stack up to be able to produce a thing that is sustainable from a cost level, sustainable from a like a production level, and sustainable like from a, a I'm a one man band. How the how the heck do I do all these things and keep my head straight whilst probably either holding down a full time job or running got a the family or, or yeah you know got the husband got the you know yeah. like because quite a lot of these creatives are women. And that's definitely what we found is that I get calls from these amazing people all day long that are like, I've got a thing and it's really awesome and it's going really well, but I'm the accountant, I'm the picker and packer, I've got the kids, I've got a job, I've got this. And it's like, that is not a sustainable model. So it can be done, but you have to figure out the infrastructure and behind. So that's what we're all about, is about streamlining the infrastructure behind the scenes so that what you produce has got enough margin in it so that everyone's making money. We're going to talk about this in a minute because this is one of my yeah. And so I've yeah. got like a little bit of a preachy thing I want to say here too. But yeah, yeah. 
because I think that that yeah. actually we all just talk about now that thing, that's one of the things that I think I get the biggest bug with because one of the things that I'll see in a Facebook group is someone will go oh you know I've decided I want to take the next step so I've decided to wholesale my products but the retail store wants to have you know mm-hmm. a um, I, I've said to them that they can have like a 25% discount on my product um, and they're not happy with that and it's just not okay because then I won't any make it back in the money. I'm like, it's not the retail store's fault. They want at oh. least 45, 50% markup yeah. essentially. And then if yeah. you're a distributor, they'll want like a similar, yeah. your product yeah. needs to be 25%, your wholesale yeah. product needs to be like at least 25% of yeah. full retail price. Yeah. And people go, I can't possibly do that. And I'm like, well, then you shouldn't think about doing retail and wholesale. Yeah. You just shouldn't. Well, then it's just a different pathway, right? Yes. So it's, and it's either, okay, but yeah, you know. yeah, it's okay. Are you are you doing something that is scalable mm. or not? And what does scalable mean for the thing that you're producing? Yeah. So if the thing that you're producing can only be made by your hands and it can only be made by a particular material that can't be mass manufactured in any type mm. of way. If if it is that and you're only charging $50 for it, yeah. um then the chances are it could never be at scale. Yeah. But the other pathway for that is actually, is it actually worth $300? Yes. Because if it is that special and it can only be made by your hands, then what is the time that it takes you? Value your time, understand the perceived value of that something that is so special. And just because somebody in today's, on today, right now is only going to pay you $50 you might have another whole band of customers out there that are really only interested in you if you're charging $500 and that's the trick with art and things like that is that actually there are some people who would never only pay $50 for something that's one off and unique they're not interested in that because they don't think I would they they want something that's yeah, they want something that's beautiful. I wouldn't trust it. And I think that's yeah. actually a really great, like I, I had this happen to me earlier on the year where I said I've been having to learn to charge for my public courses and my clients have forced me to do it. They've been like, you have to start doing this, stop giving everything away too cheap. And I yeah. had a course that I set really cheap because I was just testing the market and I had someone who approached me and she said, I want to work with you but I saw you were doing this course and I think you can't be that good if you're doing that course at that price. So you're going to have to convince me. And I immediately got off that call and went and put the price up on that course. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't realize like this is such an important, like we've had this conversation mm. about money. Yeah. I, we, I think it's really good as us too, as both business owners who are women who yeah. undervalue our own genius all the time. Yes. We're good yeah. people to tell people this because you and I have both had to learn this. Oh, just like even up until painfully, like yeah, it's taken a long time, and we will continue yeah. to learn it. Like yeah, next absolutely. year, we'll charge more because we'll have learned yeah. that we yeah. are still undervaluing. We have reached the apex of our mindset right now, and we will yeah. need to revalue that again as we grow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. So I mean, it still know. has to be. It has to be amazing the work, and that's the yes. uh, you know, it's it's important that there are some people that get that. A little bit wrong that they're doing something that has taken them a long time but they're not quite landing on the mark of of their amazing. work being amazing yes. and if they try and charge too much it might fall over yes. but I think that genuinely for the most part 
we see creatives come along all the time that do something and they can't imagine selling their painting for $1,500. They're like, no, 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 I only charge 400 But they're selling them yes. all the time. And it's like, well, if you're selling them, then they're in demand. People are connecting with them and it's probably worth more. And actually, you're not making any money selling your painting at $400. So if you've got that seller and that attention and you feel like you've got that energy around your work and you feel like people are responding really well, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with putting your shoulders back and going, okay, this actually cost, this actually took me 10 hours. And if I charge myself out at a reasonable rate, yeah, like it needs to be more than $400. And then you've got the perceived value on top of that as well. Mm. And the perceived value is all the other stuff that we wrap around the work that we do. If the perceived value is higher and understanding the perceived value of something is very different from understanding what we were talking about before, which is like the, all the, the sustainable kind of network behind the thing that you create so the infrastructure so you've got that that's just really getting you to a cost price that's just going actually it just costs me this much just to produce it and then we can layer it up with the perceived value and the perceived value can be it can be altered and changed with things like packaging and marketing and the social enterprises that you might be connected to or your messaging or how you target it, the perceived value of a product can change wildly. So yeah, that's I'm, all your branding and stuff. I've worked with quite a lot of skincare brands and I always find it really fascinating that I will know the cost price because I have to often of something. Hmm. And two businesses can have essentially a very similar product with a similar active yep. ingredients in it. And the cost price of those both of those products might be $4.50 including packaging and mm. one of them will sell it for $19.95 yeah. and the other one will sell it for $89.95 because yeah. it's the value and they are the same product it's yeah. just the way they've packaged it the way they've marketed yeah. it yeah cost price is still the same yeah absolutely and that's no different than a creative yeah it's absolutely a thing to me yeah it's absolutely no different than a creative is that yeah, you have to have good work. You have to be good at what you do, but you have to be really clear about who you're selling it to. And I think that understanding who your customer is and making sure that you're not in a step with that. So if your customer, if you've got a really, really, really young, vibrant product that would really appeal to an 18-year-old, don't put a $100 price yeah. tag on it because yeah. the 18-year-old is going to always either have to ask permission to spend that yes. amount, amount of money. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, understand. I I'm trying to explain to my right. girls. No, $70 on sale for a pair of pants is cheap. That's a good pair of pants for us to buy. And they're like, I wouldn't spend more than $19. I'm like, yeah, because you are 17. But yeah, I'm buying those yeah. for you because I know they're good value and you'll wear them for yeah. you. you know, like, so it's yeah, kind of yeah. like, yeah. because uh, so, I think that one of the things with creatives too is that if you're in a bit of a poverty mindset, if you are going, I can't afford this price, mm. Yeah. Then you get fall into the, the gap or, or mistake of thinking that your target market wouldn't pay that price. Absolutely. But that's where work around your infrastructure being yes. your building costs of what it takes to get there, but also the infrastructure of who am I selling to and having that conversation uh, and also capturing that information. So there's so many amazing tools with social media now and websites that track everything. Yeah. If you're Hearing. selling in that zone, 
you have got full access to understand who your audience is. And then once you understand that, you can figure out how to manipulate that audience in a good way. In a nice to way. Appeal, to not, in a nice way yeah. to appeal to that person that's really, really interested in it. So really it's understanding all the infrastructure that goes into creating the thing and then all of the forward momen momentum and how do we market it and, and affect the perceived value of the product into the into the marketplace and who our customers are mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I think the infrastructure the the what it really takes and is it scalable and how do we how do we buy in bulk to bring the production costs down or how do we employ a company to do one part of it or this part of it all the, those things are all part of that initial conversation of and that's building up taking away because I think for creatives too you know all of us when we've created something you feel like a great sense of ownership and it must be quite hard and that's I guess the other thing with infrastructure of a letting go of full control mm -hmm. over that process, trusting yeah. that a company can reproduce your print beautifully yes. on the fabric that you're making something out of or designing yeah. it and casting it in stainless steel yeah. or tin or enamel or whatever it's doing. Yeah. There's a trust process that has Absolutely. to be going through a structure. You almost have to find your tribe, right? Like there'll be yeah. people um, who and we, we, we've used lots and lots and lots of companies for lots and lots of different things. And when you strike the company that works well for you and that you guys, um, it, it's it's a win-win, it's a then you keep them and you push and lean into it and get the most out of that company and they'll get the most out of you kind of thing. So understanding who your tribe is and, and, and you are never, ever, like that is going to take time. You are never, ever going to get it right, right from the beginning. And it will change because their businesses will change depending on, you know, what work they're doing. So that's always a flow, fluid in movement kind of process of, of creating your tribe of people that are going to be around you in business. But I think that one of the main things that I would love to hammer home is that you can't be everything. Mm. You can for a time. Yes. For a time. You can, and everybody goes through that for a time where you're the accountant and you're the maker and you're the designer and you're the marketer and you're the picker and packer and you're the salesperson, you're everything. And you have to earn your chops, right? Yeah. You have to do that. You've got to do it. But, you, but that's not sustainable. Not hold on it, to it, yeah. And no, don't hold on to it. Probably, without being mean to creatives, most creatives are like me and should not hold on to the accounting and their finances and stuff like that for a very long time. They need to understand it, but they should not hold on to it. Most no, time. so <laughs> most account, most creatives, like their eyes glaze over by the time I finish the word saying accounting. So, and I get that because <laughs> that, that was me. <laughs> that was yeah. me, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a hybrid between half creative and half business. So once I found the right accountant and we could speak the same language and I really got the support that I needed, um, and sometimes accounting, the accounting conundrum for me, mm. most times is just about language because creatives mm. use very heartfelt, emotional language. That's how they see the world. And then to have somebody come in and talk about a profit and loss, they're like, I just don't understand that. Yeah. And so blink is the panic starts. The blink is yeah. the panic, all of that stuff. So finding the right people that can speak the language. And if you have an accountant that doesn't speak, 
the right language for you and can't put it to you in a way that you understand there's absolutely no drama in moving accountants yeah, and I think so. before you sign up with an accountant like accounting is kind of like one of those real cornerstones of any business but it's quite often the thing that people neglect the most and they procrastinate on because they just don't understand it yeah, whereas if they if they find the right person and I would encourage everybody if they're thinking of moving their accountant go and have a sit down with them meet them and yeah, have a chat chat before so. you go oh yeah what are your rates like it's so much more than that and my relationship with my accountant so now has completely more. changed my business because he is phenomenal and we have conversations that are so much further reaching because he understands that I've got that creative heart speak as well mm. so I need it to be fed back to me in a way that I understand that if I do this or if I trim this fat or if I do that that it has an emotional response for me and so that's yeah. pretty rare with yeah. an accountant. I, I get that because yeah. I I know like I think I've we've talked about it before but like I I find it very easy to make money but I find it very hard to manage money and mm. and I've had to learn I've learned to love it learned to live in budgets and I've mm. learned to love it um but that process has been partly because Rod does that side and does it really well and mm. And then, but we've had to have less talks like he is not allowed to ask me questions about, oh, that payment that went through today, what was that just before yeah. we go to bed? Because then I panic because I had, yeah. he's not asking because he's judging or stressing, but I have a panic of, oh, did I overspend? You know, is this a problem? Yeah. And, and so yeah. I'm having to still deal with my own. And so I understand with yeah. creatives that fear. Yeah. Because yeah. I think creatives too, like some, you know, if you are successful, the money can flow in and it's very tempting to feast and famine it. And I've yeah. learned the joy of putting money into a tax account and putting money aside for like problems yeah. and buffers. And, you know, you and I know we've both worked with, mm. with creatives. One of the biggest issues creatives have is they tend to spend all their money as it comes in and don't yeah. put it aside for things like big manufacturing costs or big yeah. changes yeah. on improving your team. They don't do yeah. that when it's going well and then yeah, they can't absolutely. Pay trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And and managing managing money can have such a like you say, you you get this emotional response where it's like, oh my God, I've done something wrong. I've yeah. I've not because I know for me, even still, I look at things and I it, it's not an instant there isn't an instant clarity in my head when I look at something and go in my account and go oh just look at the profit and loss and I still <laughs> kind of go okay where do I find the profit and yeah, loss I okay know. I found it okay what does it mean compare it to the last three periods I don't get that yeah. and I, I still even though I've done it a thousand times it's not something that cements in my brain I'm very so, thankful that Rod's made beautiful pie chart things so I can just see the picture because it really yeah, helps yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely but there's just that's just about kind of realizing that we're not we're not superhuman oh. and we don't have to get every single aspect of it and we absolutely need to rejig mm. we definitely need to rejig wording and that happens in the, throughout the whole business so there may be areas where you just don't get it margin what the retailer's wanting mm. you know packaging marketing any of those things you will have weak spots within that that huge amount of work that you have to do so understanding where there's a weak spot and going yeah I need help with that and what help can I get there's heaps of free courses there's mm. heaps of business support out there yeah 
I mean, yeah, there, there is a lot that you can Even do. Even the IRD and, have good courses and they're not yeah. those courses. So like learning, yeah. learning that it's not enough to hide under the ground and go, I don't want to deal with it. It's scary. It's actually really good because it, it empowers yeah. you and frees you from yeah. that fear. Um, and now then, yeah. we, I am really conscious. I know you've got a meeting later on that you've got to get to. And, and we've only, we're almost at that. But I we haven't talked about the, the manufacturing mm. side that you do. Can, yeah, we, sure. can you just talk a little bit just around um, that whole thing around scaling? Like when, and we've talked about all the stuff they have, have to have in place and, and manufacturing that whole thing of stepping that through. In terms of before you go into manufacturing, because we won't have time to cover that, that mm. whole thing that you do, which is really different, is talking about what products would work when you, you're quite interactive with your clients around that. Like I know that you talk about yeah. that. When you're looking at manufacturing, why do we have to do some of the stuff offshore um, if yeah. we don't distribute into, yeah. like, why do we do it? You know, why is that happening? Why do we go offshore to manufacture? Yeah. I mean, the the bottom line is that we have got some industries in New Zealand that are really well developed and we've yeah. got the machinery and we've got the factories and things like that. So we can produce in New Zealand. So skincare, food, yeah that kind of those kind of industries we are 100% geared for manufacturing in New Zealand and they can meet the kind of manufacturing numbers that can support a global supply chain which is awesome yeah but that's about it so the, I think so, it's such a good thing to say out loud yeah like because there's not a huge acknowledge two areas that we're really nailing in New Zealand absolutely but there are gaps yeah. there are gaps and so you know anything that we do like we do textiles and we do books and things like that yes you can definitely print a, a children's book here in New Zealand without a doubt mm -hmm. but to scale it and to get the kind of manufacturing quality that people expect and want um, we struggle with that there are certain features there are certain materials like we just don't have that infrastructure here in New Zealand and I would love to make everything here in New Zealand but it's just not the reality of the world it's not the reality for any country um, really in the world so there are depending on again it comes back to your brand it comes back to who your audience is if your audience is a hundred percent it has to be made in New Zealand and this is absolutely what we do then you can do that smaller if runs more expensive smaller runs it's more expensive we adapt or you adapt to what the product is or you collaborate with different people you can do it in different ways but the reality is that the kind of manufacturing that we do, we can't do here. And we're always trying to make the best choices with manufacturers, with materials, with products. Um, but it, it's hard to create stuff that is going to be um, at a price point that people can afford yeah. whilst also trying to tick all those boxes. And I've worked with lots of people in the past where they want to do a thing they want to create a product but they are absolutely it has to be eco it can't be this it can't be that it can't be that and I've always said the same thing to them the reality is if you want to produce a product chances are there's going to be a cost to that there in the always, eco sense right? there is always a cost yeah. if you want to be completely eco don't make anything yeah just yeah. don't make anything well, if you're going to make it eco but keep the cost down you're still going to have to cover it's still being offshore and then you've got the miles which yeah. is no longer eco so like, yeah, like these little yeah. 
heartbreaks along the way that you as a business it's, it's, owner and creator yeah. make a decision about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's all these adjustments and there's there's compromises that we have to make along the way. And if we have to make a really big compromise, we try and balance that out with something really good that we do over here. And mm-hmm. I think as long as the intention and that we're trying our very best along the way, I think that that's the best that we can do. And what we try and do is improve year on year. So we might do something and we might go, well, yeah, that we found a new material or we found a new manufacturing process. So we can adapt that to be something a little bit better. And if we can get a little bit better along the way, I think that that's awesome. Um, but as far as manufacturing in New Zealand or manufacturing offshore, there's of course opportunities to manufacture in New Zealand, depending on what it is that you're wanting out of your business, out of your creative endeavors. If you want to create a business out of it and you want it to be profitable, then the first thing you have to look at is that scalability. And is it something that we can, how how do we trim the fat out of, you've come up with this beautiful, unique idea and you're doing this wonderful thing, but it's not scalable where it is now. So how do we make it scalable? And understanding the process of working out well is it we bought by the materials or is it that we're digitally printing something or is it that we're making getting it made offshore there's lots of different avenues that you can go down to make that happen ah well you know I kind of feel like I'm just going to make an end me tonight to get you to come back on again in a few months time <laughs> to talk about because I, I, oh. I just I feel like this is this, there's so many things that I, I like like I mean, I'm a I'm a conflicted creative where I'm always like, I'm just now I just want to quit my job and go and do like cool creative shit. But I do creative yeah. shit in my job, so I shouldn't actually say that. And Rob would kill me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but I think I think that it is what I love is I do get excited by the pragmatic side of creativity. I get excited yes. about scaling. I get I am never I've never been a creative for the sake of creative. I've always thought about the business component. Mm. But what yeah. I really loved about this conversation is that. You, you haven't said you must do this. You're saying, if you're a creative, be aware of these are the things that need to be happening and then you can weigh it up. You can choose yeah. whatever creative yeah. business you have, but these are the things you need to think yeah. about if you want to shift and scale. It, absolutely. Like, whenever I've consulted with someone, whenever we sit down for the first thing, we almost put whatever the creative endeavor is aside and we talk about the person and it always comes back to the person. So what is your, what is your, what's your life like right now? Like, have you got kids? Have you, are you living alone? Are you a single mom? Are you a single dad? Like, what's your risk factors? What are your risk factors? Have you quit your job to do this thing? Like, let's understand all of those personal parameters and understand what it is that and then once we kind of understand that then we can talk about well what's actually achievable Mm -hmm. and what is going to be the right fit because if you think that you've got a full-time job and you've got kids and you've got other commitments and you're going to be sitting at home making these things at night that's which is a very very Very, very common common. reality then if I know that it takes you 15 minutes minimum to make one unit and you want to come and step into my distribution network where we're servicing a thousand odd stores yeah (laughs) if that goes off and I turn around and I turn around (laughs) to say hey I need 500 you're going to look at me and burst into tears because there's so much that needs to happen in there so there's ways of testing the market proving the concept making sure it's right limiting it to and maybe you do step into a distribution network with somebody and but you go hey 
you know, if if you can support me as I grow, I really only want to, I want to get into 20 stores. Mm. Or you get into 20 stores yourself. And absolutely, that was my, that was my process. I started yeah. in the garage doing a thing, didn't know what was happening left to right didn't even have a GST number didn't know walked straight into a gift fair a New Zealand trade gift fair walked out with 60 retailers and promptly burst into tears because I had no idea what I was doing I've actually so got a couple of clients that that has happened to where they've walked out yeah. and cried and gone and just and gone barcodes yeah amazing <laughs> and I I remember after my first gift fair going what? I have to charge GST. Like, I know. Just, like, oh my gosh, I didn't even factor no that idea. in. What am I doing? Yeah, I, absolutely I love no that. I, so, so if people want to work with you, because I think that I would say, don't even know what your prices are, but I don't care. I think that if you are a creative that's got goals and a dream that you want to grow, like having a session with Annalise would be a really good defining moment of deciding for yourself. So you can start mm -hmm. mapping something out. But how do they do that, Annalise? Do you take people just for like a session or do they have yeah. to sign up for things? So so what we've done is we've broken our business and our service into three categories. Yeah. We've broken it into consulting, manufacturing and distribution. Because I think that what, really excites me is having those one-on-one -on -one consulting sessions where it might be a couple of hours and you walk away with something super tangible for you to go and build your own business mm -hmm. it's not about slotting into my distribution my like no. mega network of distribution that's absolutely not what it's about it's what, what I'm my my passion really is empowering creatives to understand that yes you can do it yes you are going to make mistakes but if we can try and help you get on a foundation that means that you kind of know where your strengths are and where your weaknesses might be and you've had a really good talk with someone who's walked the walk and literally made every mistake under the sun like yeah. you, you couldn't throw an, a mistake at me that I haven't made because I have literally done it all still still doing <laughs> all of it by the way still, like, learning never stops but uh, that's where my like that makes me really excited is yeah. is just having somebody that goes has a session and then they come back in a year's time and go oh my god guess what this happened this happened this happened can we have another session because maybe you know maybe we are ready for distribution or hey we're ready to manufacture offshore or whatever and I think that that initial consultation that initial conversation can be so beneficial um, and that's probably that initial conversation is where I feel like so business support for creatives is kind of lacking yeah so I've had lots and lots of creatives who have come to me and said oh well I went to Auckland Chamber of Commerce which mm -hmm. is an amazing service and they would put them in touch with a business mentor yeah, they don't but, the, understand. but yeah. where the business mentor is at and yeah. where the creative is at there is a massive misstep yeah. and if they start talking accounts it's just it's just oh. not I, starting. it's the same with me with marketing because I've worked with so many of them and because I understand that process as a writer and that I I know that's where I'm good at so that's why I love yeah. you because you understand that process that's why I have no hesitation of saying go and talk to Annalise because that is there so you, so they can come and just book a session with you absolutely and how yep. do they so find you for that um, so you can just go onto our website, tickety-boo.com, and um, you can just fill in a contact form. We're just in the process of 
doing all of our new packages for consulting, manufacturing and distribution. Um, and so if you just say, come on and say, hi, hey, heard you on the podcast, would love to chat then um, I can get in touch with you and send you out all of our pricing and things like that. And we're, again, a little bit like yourself, we're, we're becoming a regional business partner with Excellent. Auckland Chamber. So some of that, certainly that initial consultation, um, depending on where you are in the country, will be able to be funded. Yeah. Yes, up yeah. to 50% people, up to $5,000 a year. And um, yeah. Annalise will be registering all the way through New Zealand so you can have a Zoom conversation with her because um, her... Yeah. Her services will be awesome. Um, <laughs> Amazing. I, I've, honestly, this has been so wonderful. And I do want to get you um, back on. Um, I have like made lists of notes of things where I'm like exclamation marks and questions <laughs> and things like that. It's, so a, it's, a, it's a big topic. It's it a lot is, to cover. It's yeah, such a good yeah. topic. Um, I, I'm really excited to have people listen to this and go, this really helped me. I love that you and I have both been on that journey of developing healthy boundaries and we're passing it on to our clients. I think that's awesome. Yeah. We have our own learning and that we've both made mistakes. So it's been a huge mm. pleasure to have you on and um, your clients are lucky to have you. Thank you. It's been such an ego boost. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You're so kind. Thank you so much. And no, I, do wanna, I do just want to say that Rachel... I had a meeting, like Rachel said, in a cafe in Long Bay, like years and years and years, a hundred years ago. And I remember just feeling, when I went to meet with her, I remember feeling so incredibly lost and so incredibly like I was fighting against the tide constantly. And Rachel said this one thing to me that changed my entire perspective of myself and changed my business and still continues to change my business is that I'm a complete scatterbrain. I am, I like to have 5,000... I, I have 5,000 tabs open yeah. at any one time, quite often having a conversation halfway through an email, finishing a meal and writing a list out, all happening at the same time. And that I've been able to embrace that because of what Rachel said. And she said to me a long time ago that I have got a really short attention span. I've basically got five seconds and then I'm on to the next thought that that's something I need to work with as opposed to against and I think a lot of creatives have got the same thing where they're like oh my god I want to do this oh my god I want to do this I want to do this yep absolutely learn to embrace that and learn how to drive that energy and drive that thought process and you will learn how to operate your business because that's what that's what happened to me I was so busy thinking that that was a failure and that that was a negative thing for me that I wasn't doing it right because I couldn't concentrate on one thing for too long and then I'd want to have all these things from that moment that's when I started to distribute because I knew that I needed to have I need a hundred artists I need a hundred creators I need a hundred simulators yeah man I need like a thousand products going on at the same time because that's the that's the zone that my brain operates at and embrace learning to embrace that that was down to Rachel and learning to embrace that like that changed my entire business and so if you feel like it's you're going against the tide it might just be because you're not embracing the difference or the uniqueness that you have in your creative brain and so absorbing that embracing it giving a big old hug and getting on with it it's all good because it worked for me you're the first guest I'm like this is the I don't know this is going to be nine episode 90 or something like that you're the first Mm. guest that's ever bloody made me cry Annalise yeah (laughs) I'm super good at 
it there. And make everyone cry. God. Oh, <laughs> sometimes yeah. good, sometimes bad. Kind. <laughs> well, I, yeah, thank you. I, we could keep talking, but I know you've got another meeting and um, it's been an honour. So thank you so awesome. much for being on the show. Thanks, Rachel. Whether you're a maker or like me in service space, I think some of the things that I learned from this podcast that I'd like you to reflect on is that whole thing about making specific choices around how you want to run your business. We don't want a business that's scaling up and up and up. That's not how I want to do business. It doesn't mean it's not valid. As we talked about with Annalise, there's huge benefits to be able to do that as a maker and actually as a service provider too. Working out what your values are, how you want to work, your life stages, what your income wants to be, how you want to create things and the cost of both options is really important. So I guess that's something I'd like you to do this week. Have a think. Can I scale? Can I get bigger? What is the cost of that? What would I lose? What would I gain? And what would I lose or gain by staying just where I am today? I hope this has been a, a podcast you've enjoyed. If you'd like to talk about or ask any questions that have come out of here, do come and be part of the Mipit Marketing Group on Facebook. You can ask questions. Plus, I give lots of tips and advice in there as well. And next week, it's me talking to you about something that I haven't worked out yet. So surprises all around for episode 97. If you love what you heard today, be sure to hit subscribe. And if you love this episode in particular, I'd love it if you shared it on social media. Remember to tag me in so I can say thank you. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.